Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Cut the Shit. A podcast that takes a closer look at the IT industry, both the good and the bad. My name is Cameron Plato. And I'm Brian Law. And I'm Brian Link. On today's episode, I'm pleased to have Brian Law and Cameron Plato back in the house. Today, we're going to tackle an IT industry staple, the term agreement. In case you don't know what that means, we're talking about a multi-year agreement that locks in pricing and services for a period of years. Three years is a very standard length. Think of your cell phone agreement as a pretty standard example. We're going to work hard to cut the shit on this one. We cover the history of the term agreement, where it makes sense and where it doesn't, and why SaaS software has made the term agreement such a problem for the industry. We also spend some time talking about some big changes coming to the Microsoft 365 licensing program. It's what they call the new commerce experience, and it has some pretty major changes baked into it. To finish up, we'll talk turkey, literally, and dessert, and Christmas decorating. You get the picture. Enjoy. Welcome back, guys. How the hell are you? I'm doing great. Groovy. (laughs) You know, we just talked before we started about how they would do this, and they still screwed it up. So, again, we're off to a great start. Um, Guys, today we're going to spend a little time talking about something that's near and dear to both of your hearts, I know, uh, the term agreement, which is a staple in the information technology world. It has uh, a place in lots of other places too, right? Think of your cell phone agreement, other things. Uh, A mortgage is a term agreement as an example, much longer term, Um, but it has its place. Uh, It's it's something that is, you know, really, again, kind of a core component of the way people that buy technology and sell technology contractually arrange to, to work together. And so, on its face, you might think, well, why are we even talking about this? This sounds really boring. Um, and, and I guess in some ways it is boring if you were going to talk specifically about it, but that's not what we're going to do, right? We're going to talk about what does it mean? Where did it come from? Why is it good or bad? You know, what, what about it gives you heartburn um, when you think about the industry? Uh, what are some examples? I mean, you guys are both really old, unlike me. So you've seen a lot of this in your career. So I'd love to hear maybe some examples of both good examples and bad examples of of where it makes sense, mainly to try to help people think about it, right? Because I think it's one of those things, a lot of times people take things for granted that either everything should be a term agreement or everything should be month to month. And the reality is nothing's that simple. So I thought it would make sense for us to kind of delve into that and let's cut the shit a little bit around this specific piece of the puzzle because it is so prevalent uh, in our industry. So to get started, um, why don't you guys give me, you know, give me some examples or, or I'll start with, since there's two of you and you don't, I don't want you to start talking at the same time because you both will. Um, give me an example from your previous life, <clears throat> previous career life of a term agreement structure that you thought made sense at the time. Salesforce. You thought Salesforce made sense at the time? Until we were in the term and then I wanted out of it. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't remember uh, let's that. Let's go back further than that. Let's go back to when you used to sell data center stuff, Cameron. Uh, you know, a, a common term agreement that you uh, typically run into, like a extended warranty, extended maintenance agreement. So like Cisco SmartNet. There's a term on that. You expect it. There's no downside to that term unless you sell the equipment during the term. 
and you've prepaid for something that no longer. Why, why wouldn't you just buy that on a month to month basis? What's the benefit of buying it on a term? And it can't be because Cisco makes you that could, that could be the reason, but I'm thinking, let's go back to sort of first principles. Why would they even do it that way? Well, I can tell you, they don't let you buy it short of a year. <laughs> I figured that. So, uh, cause they said, yeah, the, the, I think the benefit typically comes out of, um, to the customer just is that you only have to screw with it once and it locks you in for the duration of the term and so i assume the assumption is you're going to use increase. the equipment for longer anyway right yes so you're going to need it more than month to month or a year right that's correct yeah if there's an incentive in pricing to buy a multi-year term i understand that if you already plan on the device or you know, asset lasting that uh, five years or whatever it is. But in a lot of cases, you don't see a, a pricing benefit. So Cameron gave us at least a little bit of an example of something from sort of the, we'll call it the the server world that makes sense, right? A Cisco SmartNet multi-year agreement, since you generally buy that equipment and you're going to keep it longer than a year anyway, right? Um, Law, what about telecom? I mean, it's it's known as the master of the uh, of the painful term agreement. So maybe try to don't go negative right out of the gate. Try to go positive a little bit and give me some examples of where maybe early in your career you thought, man, this really makes sense. Okay, so I would say when you are um, building fiber into a customer into a building, and we were absorbing the cost associated with that in return for a term agreement. So instead of putting the customer in a position where they had to write a check for 50000 or $100,000 or whatever it is, we gave them an option um, and just back into it with the basic ROI model to say, you're going to pay this for the circuit, and the customer would much rather pay the OPEX associated with that and was okay with the term until, you know, either selective amnesia set in or a new uh, – a new uh, uh, maybe a new IT person, new CIO came in and wanted to know why they were paying what they were paying for a given circuit and had had uh, had hadn't been in part of the the conversation. But I think that would be a good example of absorbing cost on the front end to spread it out on the back end. Um, although it doesn't feel good at the at, at the end of it. So in many ways, it's kind of a service plus a financing deal rolled into one. It is, yeah. I mean, it's it literally the circuit price was a derivative of that expense, you know, so it was just what was the traditional pricing of the port and the loop in a, in a particular case, plus construction essentially financed. Now, Link, I'm not an accountant and I don't claim to be one. Uh, and I'm certainly not an expert at all gap um, modeling, but my understanding is, is if you prepay a maintenance agreement at the time when you acquire a capital asset, you can depreciate the prepaid maintenance agreement for the as part of the price of the capital assets. So you get it off your OPEX. Wow. Everybody get that? You want to say that again, Cameron? I'm just kidding. No, I, I know. You're right. You're, you're basically saying, I mean, Ka- Brian pointed out two benefits, right? The first was just the cash, the cash issue on the front end, right? Writing a big check can be hard for a company if they don't have access to, to cash just in the bank or through some other facility, right? So that's that's a real challenge that, um, you know, a multi-year deal with that piece rolled into it provides as an advantage. And then the second one you just mentioned, which was 
you know, there's an accounting treatment of that where you can get to that same point, depending on how you do it, even if you want to prepay. Right. So you, you can kind of get around that, assuming you do have the cash and still make it an OPEX expenditure, uh, assuming you structure it correctly. I think it's kind of the point you're making, right? Correct. So there's a reason. Yeah. I mean, there's some good reasons, right? I mean, and, and, and I guess, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is all of that assumes there, there's a bunch of assumptions baked into that, that would, if you were, if let's say that's a three year or maybe a five year, let's go five years because five years is a long time in technology, right? So if you installed back in the day, you installed, you know, a, a T1 uh, on a five year deal and it was pretty expensive by year three or four, odds are your chance to buy something with better capacity at a lower cost was real. And there you were stuck, right? So when you've got a pace of change like that, multi-year deals or term agreements become problematic. And I think, I'm sure you saw that, didn't you, Brian? Oh, for sure. All the time. And Cameron, I I mean, even in the data center space, same thing, right? It does. I mean, you know, if you think of buying hardware in the cloud world now, there's sort of a parallel. If you bought hardware and you expected to have a five-year life cycle, you essentially did a five-year term on something. So you've got to buy at your peak or your perceived peak need, which is, of course, crystal ball. And that's that's some of the, the problem with the term-based uh, agreement. You don't know what you're going to need at peak. Let's let's we won't change gears, but let's use a let's use a really good example of this, maybe to the I don't know, to the negative, I guess. But let's talk a little bit about the big news out of Microsoft in terms of the move to what they're calling uh, the new commerce experience. Um, this has to do with the Microsoft 365 licensing platform. So Outlook, Office, Teams, you know, their, co- their collaboration uh, communication suite, which is, I mean, it's 800 pound gorilla by 100 miles. You know, Google Workplace is a very, very distant second in the business world. I'm thinking market share is somewhere 70, 80%, I believe. Um, Microsoft. So they is. are, you know, they, they're yeah. dictating the market, right? They, they, they pretty much own it. Uh, and that's nothing new. Um, started, you know, as a, as a cloud-based platform, I guess about 10 years ago now, is it early 2011, 2012. So they're about 10 years, nine, 10 years into this thing. And it's a great platform, right? We, we sell it. We're a, we're a tier one direct, direct reseller of the, the platform to, to customers Customers get good use out of it. The products are good. They've done a bunch of enhancements. I mean, everything from Teams on down the line, right, to call plans. I mean, they've really they've really bolstered the platform to be something that is is pretty incredible, really, for what it can do for for a business small, really, all the way up to the largest companies in the world. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm I'm singing its praises because I I believe I believe in the product. Um, I don't think any of What's about to follow, which is probably going to be negative, I think, if you were to listen to this, has to do with the product itself. Um, I will, th- I will say up front that one of the interesting things about this move that Microsoft has made, um, and and one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, trying to understand why they did this, and they ha- actually had some good reasons for some of the changes that they're making, uh, and one in particular is they're raising prices. Uh, they're raising prices anywhere from fifteen to twenty-five percent. Uh, on their base licensing. And while that may sound expensive, they haven't raised prices in almost 10 years on this on their products. 
And, and that's almost unheard of, uh, particularly for someone who's got that kind of market power. Now, they didn't necessarily start off that way, but they really did because everybody just had installed versions of the stuff and then moved over to the, to the cloud platform. Um, so to think that you would go 10 years and not raise prices on a product is sort of hard to believe um, for a, you know, well, for it's a market It's not a stagnant leader. product either, considering the amount of innovation and investment they've put into it. It's fascinating they haven't raised prices. Oh, I mean, they've, they've given a list of, you know, literally over a thousand enhancements to the platform over that time frame. I mean, it's, it really has gone from something that was really good to, you know, just out of this world in terms of, of in terms of how good the platform is. Um, and so, you know, I don't think, at least from my perspective, it would be hard to be upset about the price increases. I mean, you don't like it. Nobody likes a price increase, but you can't really say, well, man, they're just sticking it to us. You know, that's definitely not the case when it comes to the pricing. <clears throat> so I don't think most yeah, of the... Of itself, that's pretty straightforward. Price increase is what it is. I think everybody could tolerate that. Nobody's happy yeah. about it, but it's they get it, especially by running a business. I mean, truthfully, yeah. they've now, got such a lock on the market. It'd be like bitching about the price of gas. Like, who cares? Get over it. About it. You're gonna pay it. It's right. a cartel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know there there are a couple of problems with the way it worked. Customers may not have noticed this as much, but maybe you know contract terms. Um, it was a one size fits all. It was a you know what they called an annual agreement, but you could cancel at any time. So realistically, it was basically a pure consumption model. You paid for what you used, right? And you could start a contract at any on really at any day and cancel on any day. And so you know, at least from the partner perspective, it was pretty complicated, right? It was it was so consumption oriented that maybe it was a little too consumption oriented. Like it was sort of difficult. And we've had problems with customers trying to explain how changes flowed through the month, right? And because it's just so easy for things to change. Um, So I think those changes, you know, make sense. Moving to, we're going to make everything, you know, billing's going to be first of the month. Everything's going to be billed on first of the month. And that's the way it works. And so, to, you know, that's clean. And moving from a one-size-fits-all contract to, hey, we've got monthly, we've got annual, we've got three-year, that makes sense. I mean, maybe somebody wants to – there could be good reasons to want to lock in for a one-year or a three-year term. In this case, you know you're going to use the platform, so if you can lock in a price break, well, why wouldn't you, right, assuming there's some flexibility or whatever. So on its face, the changes don't, uh, don't, don't seem to be problematic. Um, well, most people weren't taking advantage of the ability to trim off or daily prorate um, those, uh, the use of those services. So to the traditional consumer or the provider that wasn't taking advantage of that or ex- exploiting, it's a strong word, but um, you know, delivering that optimization, I don't know that those people will feel much of a difference. Yeah, not much changed, really. Yeah, I, I think mean, especially so. if you were a legacy EA or a select agreement customer where you had already committed to an excess amount of licenses. You know, if you needed a thousand, I guarantee you they didn't sell you a thousand. You ended up buying fourteen hundred because it was the assumptive peak of utilization sometime during the term. So that you know, I don't think that everybody's going to feel it. I think it's unfortunate that that the benefits of the legacy commerce experience, maybe we'll call it, is. Uh, they'll never experience that. They'll never, you know, uh, bear fruit out of that. Yeah. I think that's, um, I think it's a real loss in this process because, I you know, too. like I said, they're going to have month to month pricing, but the sort of the kicker on that is the price. There's a, there's a pretty significant price increase to be able to go month to month 
on top of the price increases that are coming to the tune of another 20% on top. So you're talking about, you know, in some cases, almost a 50% increase if you wanted to stay it, it really, in, in essence, in the same type of agreement that you're in today. Now, you may not realize that's the kind of agreement you're in, depending on what you're doing with those licenses. But functionally, that's that's there. Um, and some people are going to figure that out once they, let's say, they just convert everything to annual, and then they need to, you know, something happens, they have some business change or something, and they want to they want to reduce those number of licenses, and they're not going to be able to do that. Whereas before. That would have just happened, and they wouldn't have. There would have been. A, they would have. There would have been absolutely no issue with that. So that flexibility uh, around the the month to month is uh, you can have it, but you're going to pay dearly for it now. Yeah, it's it's, it's you almost feel <clears throat> a bit set up with it. You know, get you get kind of get you on the juice and get you excited about it, and now all of a sudden it's like you can still have it. It just got a lot more expensive. Like we're we're going to do it our way. Or you can do it your way. Your way is gonna, your way is gonna be expensive, depending on the, the the size of business that you've got today and the, the amount of users. Obviously, smaller guys probably won't feel it much anyway, and can probably stay pretty flexible. But the that the you know those the, those medium size and enterprise level businesses, it's definitely a big difference. Yeah, and I think for me, when I thought about it, um, it felt like Microsoft was. If you think about the way they price Azure, right? It's a consumption model. Now you can buy reserved instances. You can you can buy some volume if you want for a discount, but the pay as you go is there, right? And will always be there or well, it looks like it'll always be there. And it felt like 365 they were lining that up with that to be a, a similar thing, you know, to be able to continue to buy it kind of on a consumption basis. And if you want it, and I have a sort of thinking, okay, if you want to buy an annual, then you can lock in a discount. Well, that's cool. Um, and, and I think if there was someone from here from Microsoft, they would say, well, that's exactly what we did. But I don't think most folks would see it that way when you look at that differential for how much more expensive it costs for monthly. Um, that's the, that I think that's punitive. the part that's, that's a signal. That's a big signal. Um, I, I think the other thing that bothers me about it is, you know, to, to use an old reference that Obama used to use, you know, when he was talking about Obamacare, you know, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Um, you, you can't keep your contract now. Everybody's got to change. Right. And I think that's the part that's uh, I think some of our customers who do use uh, who, who have been pretty good about optimizing their environments uh, are going to struggle with um, that. You wait, wait, you mean we can't do this anymore? Uh, no, no, you can't. Uh, it's, that's going to be a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow, I think, for some folks. You have to know where you're going to be in the future for it to make sense. And hey, 365 licensing is probably more consistent than other things in that sense. I mean, if you look, given, given most of our life in business, if you were to say, hey, five years from now, I'm probably going to be using Outlook, that would have been a pretty safe bet as opposed to Hey, I'm using you know particular server technology or a particular you know uh, bandwidth service you know relative to connectivity, um, but nevertheless, it doesn't doesn't matter. This isn't just hey, I'm going to be using it. It's I got to know the numbers that I'm going to be using. It would make to me more sense if you did a financial commitment, like a revenue commitment. Doesn't matter what it's made up made up of, but if you'll <clears throat> commit to spend one hundred twenty thousand dollars over the next twelve months, then I don't care if you spend $10,000 on one product or $1,000 on 10 products you know, per month. It shouldn't matter. Yeah. 
Well, we'll leave it on that really positive note. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and uh, we'll move to our wrap up and we'll talk a little bit about, I mean, it's, it's that time of year it's Thanksgiving. Right. And I teed up a little bit of this uh, on the last episode. I asked our guest and colleague Ryan Harris, how he liked to make his Turkey. So well, I'll ask you guys the same question. What's your preference on Turkey prep? Whatever my wife does. <laughs> Lame. I, uh, you definitely have to brine. That's it. That's a key uh, uh, part of the process. And then, you know, I'm, I'm split between fried and smoked. I do like fried. Yeah. I, I, I like if it's smoked properly, I like a smoked turkey. But Yeah, that's, that was Ryan's preference. I, I'm all in on fried. I've been you know, doing it for about 10 years. And buy a fried turkey. And it's, uh, it's uh, like I said, it's a little bit scary. You, it's you, a lot you, get, you usually get some usually get some first degree burns in the in the process, um, but you got to go out there and babysit a little bit. But it happens fast, and I tell you, the peanut oil makes it the juiciest sure. turkey I've ever Delicious. had. You just got to go get those firing gloves, dude. You got to grab those firing gloves, and you'll be good to what go. What do you know? Your wife makes your turkey. You don't even get. <laughs> I, you don't even. You're not even allowed to comment at this point. I, I like to. Well, I, I don't want to cook the turkey for starters, right? <laughs> I go get the turkey, and then my work there is done. I'm I'm errand boy for those couple of days leading up, and I'm I'm good with that. I, I know my place. I'm not a chef. I've Never got to be. Uh, Cameron's a chef. I've got I've got this old van that's like a camper van, and I typically will freeze once a year smoking that turkey, babysitting the fire. So you basically wake up on Thanksgiving morning, or from a twenty minute nap, or you've been up all night constantly tending to the fire that makes a fried turkey exceptional you don't have yeah to i was gonna say that's 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 a level of commitment that i don't have part of the part of the reason i like the fried turkey is it takes about 45 minutes yeah you know whereas smoking takes all night and it baking <laughs> in the oven takes you got to get up at five in the it's morning too. and get it in there because it's it takes a long time too by the way i do that part too i do i do get up and put it in Oh, okay. Well, that's good. You do something. I'm glad to hear that. I do a lot so, of shit, Link. <laughs> I can, I can tell. I was thinking about this the other day. Have you ever gone to a restaurant that's not like an American fair restaurant, but just name any other nationality of food? There's never turkey on the menu. What is it that they know about turkeys that we don't know? That's a great question. Think about it. I, I, I'm not sure. I, yeah. You seem to have an answer, or are you? People just don't eat turkey them? eggs either. Like, Things. what the hell good is a turkey anyway? Things like, that make you. Hey, you want a chicken food. egg? Sure, turkey egg. Never heard of it. Deep thoughts by Cameron Plato. This just occurred to me last night. Turkey's a weird protein. What, what is you guys? Uh, what's your dessert of choice? I'm just moving right away from the turkey. What oh, is your pump, dessert pumpkin of choice? pie for sure. Pumpkin pie. Pecan pie. Pecan pie. Give me some. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. See, that's my pumpkin, mom too. I, I can't. I can't do that. Yeah. Pumpkin pie, man. I, I mean, it smells so good cooking, but it looks like the texture the of texture. it Ugh. is awful, and the taste is worse. Wrong. Like it's so <laughs> wrong. bad. So bad. I want to like it. I Would you eat it without one. crust wrong. or whipped cream? Yeah. You get. Would you eat just the you filling? Like a pumpkin pie earlier, filling. 
I did. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I go both ways here. I'll get both parties oh, covered. Whoa. So I'll get a libertarian comment in here too if you want. Nah. Yeah, why don't you go for it? Yeah, do it. Why not? Round us out. I mean, at some point. Yeah, at some point. I mean, taxation is theft. Okay, we're done. Damn, so. Drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> it cut um, that shit. I do have a couple more wrapping this up because oh, I, I know you guys and I know how sentimental you both are. So when it comes to Christmas movies, do you start watching Christmas movies on Thanksgiving Day or do you wait until the day after? Oh, and I'm talking about the classics, you know, the, the, the real Christmas movies. F- football dominates the TV on Thanksgiving. What's that? Football dominates the television on Thanksgiving usually. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. nobody's sitting down to like cozy up to watch a movie. Yeah. I, I definitely wait. Listen, I'm the guy that likes to start Christmas a day before Christmas. And end it. At yeah. And, and like the, the Christmas day, I'm like, let's take down the tree. Like, I, I like that. So it's you're a, a Scrooge. That's what you're no, saying? I'm not a Scrooge. I was accused of being a Scrooge, so I lit up the house and bought like a 20-foot Santa and put it on the roof and like went you crazy with it just to like make my point. But I hate taking this. St- I actually like Christmas. I just hate getting everything out of storage, putting it up, and then taking it back down. That annoys me. So, so now there's services. You know, it's like an Uber. Well, nobody Uber. likes that. I mean, just, just for the record, like it's not like anybody gets excited Apparently about that Apparently, I part. like it less than most. Okay, okay. Because I was going to say, Law, I, you know, he acts like he likes weed eating, but nobody really likes that. They like the way the yard looks when it's done, right? I mean, and, and you, can, you can take some effort. satisfaction out of it, but yeah. at the end of the day, you wouldn't just choose to. You don't go cut other people's yards just for fun. <laughs> sure. When do you when do, you do the, uh, the uh, Christmas setup there, Link? Uh, we traditionally have done it the day after we usually put a tree up the day after and then land does all the lights on the tree because she has like a whole thing and it's really complicated but our kids are pretty upset with us because last year we bought a fake tree for the first time ever um and it already has the lights on it so literally now we bought a fancy fake tree so it looks good but it's still a fake tree but man it takes it, it changes the whole game, Cameron, to your point. And so it we does. just hang some lights outside. It's pretty minimal, so it's not, it's not too hard. Um, and then are you a New Year's tear, like New Year's teardown? Uh, usually around then. We, uh, you know, it's not, we don't have sort of a – we don't really have a clear, like, it's got to come down on this day. We're, we're not really dogmatic in that way. My How about you guys? I mean, you already really told us you want the shit down as soon as you can. Yeah, I do. Well, what about you guys? I think we've had it. I think we've had the stuff up as late as February before. <laughs> I was gonna say my father-in-law bought a Prius and he kept his that tree happens. up because it was a live tree yeah. for a year. Yeah, like, I mean we we pull it out and the needles are falling. It makes the biggest like the, the the spot we put the tree and I always come in with something bigger than it was last year. Like last year's tree was absolutely redonkulous. Like it was one of those like how how are we getting this in? You how went Clark Griswold style for sure, but. Um, man, it just pretty it full. Does something, a lot of sap. It, does, it does something to our to our house. Like that little spot right there, it just becomes like like the Christmas magic sets in, and it's like this comfortable area. You know, it's, it just oh, looks totally perfect. different. You teed me up for my follow up. So, how many Christmas Hallmark movies, Hallmark Christmas movies, are you guys going to watch this year? See, we we don't do a lot of that. We do some old school like Charlie Brown. I know you don't, Cameron. You're already a Scrooge, so we already, Rudolph, we already know you. Things like that. Christmas Vacation is a freaking staple. Um, the Christmas Story is is always finds its way in there. But I mean, that's that's kind of 
That's kind of who so we you are. You stick to the canon. You haven't gone. Yeah. You haven't gone Hallmark movies yet. We haven't gone crazy. No. And it, you know what? You just wait. It's, you get that empty nest. You'd be surprised what happens. That's the difference. There's just not a lot of downtime. Like it's we're still even when we're breaking. It seems like we're still rapid fire running in different directions. You know, doing a lot of we we still do a lot of weed eating. Like you know. <laughs> You know, I bought a tree once. Yeah. It was too big, ah. and I had to take an axe and chop it out. Chop it. I up. swear, I thought it was gonna happen last Part, year. Yeah, I thought was. I was gonna have to get the get the clippers out. Oh, yeah. I was ready to do it. it. It, dude, it just kept it kept growing. Like it just. Amy was like, "Okay, you officially have overdone it." It's me and Creed typically go do it. Like it's become our thing. They don't look as big outside. Man, <laughs> this thing went. <laughs> It was it was the Griswolds for sure. Knocking out Margo and Todd's like, you know window. What? This is gonna be the one exactly. we don't take down. It'll be here forever. I know, Todd. <laughs> All right. On that note, guys, we'll wrap it up. Thanks for joining. Um, uh, not exactly the uh, a happy topic as we talked about term agreements, but we finished with some turkey and Christmas. So yeah, uh, hopefully that'll that'll inspire people for the spirit. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. absolutely. Cut the shit is brought to you by Plow Networks and is produced by Talia D. Domenico and Emily Starnes. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, we'd be most grateful if you would share it with others who you think might be interested in hearing a somewhat irreverent take on the arcane world of IT. If you aren't enjoying it, well, why are you listening? You can find links to this podcast on our website at plow.net, on our YouTube and Instagram feeds, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, LinkedIn, and probably a bunch of other places too. Whereas my kids like to say, just Google that shit. You'll find it for sure. Take care and have a great day.